Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. with a quick prayer. We'll do a little bit of a review of what we covered last week and then we'll get straight into Revelation chapter 8. Heavenly Father, we come before you now just to thank you so much, God, for the, the incredible privilege that we have to study your word. There are billions of people on the planet. There are billions of people who have lived. And so few, Father, have this desire that you've put in our hearts to really want to understand your word. And even those who have the desire, so few actually have the privilege to understand it. And so Father, we just want to thank you uh, so much from the bottom of our hearts for your great uh, loving kindness toward us. And we just thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name, amen. So let's get uh, straight into the study tonight where we were looking at uh, Revelation Uh, we're, we're, we're in seven last week. We're going to get into chapter eight. This So let's get into the study. Um, so last time we were looking at chapter seven, but we saw that chapter seven was, was an interlude. It was a, a message of encouragement to us that we would see the outcome of all these things. And so this tribulation is going to be a very, very difficult period. We saw that with the, the seals being opened and resulting in the martyrdom of the saints. But then we were encouraged that You know, there's this symbolic number of 144,000, 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. And, and that represented the fulfillment 
of the promise to Abraham in Revelation 12, uh, sorry, in Genesis 12, where God promised him that he would be, he would bless all the families of the earth and that he would have descendants that no, nobody could number. And so when John looked and saw, that, and this is just the first fruits harvest, but when he looked and he, when he saw the first fruits harvest, it was an innumerable uh, multitude. But let's go back now to the story flow of the opening of these seals. And what we saw in Revelation 6, verse 9, so we saw uh, in Revelation 6 the first four seals, which were the, which were the, the horsemen, the, the white horse followed by the red horse, then the black horse, then the green horse, and all of this resulting in chaos, catastrophe, and death uh, on the earth. And then we come to the fifth seal, Revelation 6, verse 9, and when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain. Why were they slain? For the word of God. They were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They just would not let go of this testimony. They understood their purpose and they understood God's purpose and they were loyal to God to the end. And then dropping down to verse 12, and I beheld when he opened the sixth seal and lo, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And this is what Christ told us to look for. So in Matthew 24, he warns us not to be deceived. And the very first horseman that comes out is an imposter. It's somebody who's pretending to be uh, the, 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 the anointed one. It's somebody who's pretending to be Christ, but he's given victory. He's given victory. He's given a crown. And he goes forward and he conquers and people surrender to him. And, and, and he's spreading this deception. As a result of that deception, uh, the world changes. That results in war. And as a result of these wars, uh, peace is taken from the earth. Then there's famine and pestilence. And then there's death followed by the grave. And so all of that happens as a result of this deception. And Christ tells us, don't be deceived. But part of this deception is, is looking at these miraculous wonders and lying wonders and, and, and false prophets and people following these prophets and believing that Christ has come. And, and, you know, he's over here or he's over there. We're going to the desert or we're going to the secret chambers. And Christ says, no, when I come, you'll know. But the sign to look for is when powerful men, when the rulers of this world lose control. And that's what this sixth seal is. It's demonstrating God now acting and, and mankind losing control. So they have no control over what happens in the heavens and they have no control of, of, on the earth when this great earthquake strikes the earth. And now the mighty men are panicking and this is the sign to us that we must now look up and look for the return of Jesus Christ. So there was a great earthquake and the sun became as black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. So he opens this seven, the final seal and there's just silence. It's just quiet. In anticipation of what is about to take place on the earth. Now God is going to act. This is the seal of judgment. So the seventh seal is, is, is uh, opened. And remember that no one was worthy to open these seven seals until Christ arrived in heaven, the lamb that was slain. 
he is worthy because he is able not only to release these judgments on the earth in righteous indignation, but also to redeem Israel. And the seventh seal is the moment we've all been waiting for. This is it. This is now the redemption of Israel. And, and, but but it's, it's combined. It's, it's a judgment of, of all those who have rebelled and resisted God's rule. And it's redemption on those who are humble and on those who have accepted God's rule. So there's this silence for half an hour, about, about half an hour, just breathtaking silence with anticipation. H- how is this all going to unfold? You know, imagine these powerful angels and the elders in heaven and the, the, the living creatures, and, and they're all worshiping God and, and nonstop worshiping him. He's just, he's just so holy and they're just so grateful to him. And then the lamb opens the seventh seal and there's just silence as they anticipate what's going to take place and what a privilege it is for us to be able to peer into these seals and see the will of God and how, how history will unfold and how, how this story will conclude. So, so this now is uh, beckoning and, and introducing the day of the Lord. And look what Zephaniah says about the day of the Lord, why, why there's this silence and this anticipation as, as to how this will all unfold. Zephaniah says, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and it hastens greatly. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. So this mighty man who has been set up, who looked like no harm would ever come to him, who was abusing others, who just looked like his wealth and his power would last forever, now he's panicking like a little child. And, and uh, he is now facing the wrath, and it's too late. It's too late. God has given time for repentance, but now it's too late. And now the wrath of the Lamb has come. The day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloomliness, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities. Again, these palaces and and great uh, governments that have been set up and they look impenetrable like no harm could ever come to them. This is a day of alarm for those fenced cities and against the high towers, which actually beckons back to Genesis uh, 10 and 11 and, and the introduction of these worldly cities and these worldly governments by Nimrod and the towers, the high towers representing this political, uh, com- political rule combined with religious rule. Uh, it's over now. So come back to uh, Revelation chapter 8, verse 2. And I saw the angels which stood before God. So these very same angels that were just silent for half an hour as they were waiting to see how is this going to unfold, to them were given seven trumpets. So they are now going to announce the, the unfolding of this. The seventh seal contains seven trumpets. And so these angels are given the trumpets to sound out each judgment, culminating in the redemption of God's people. And another angel, so there's the seven angels, each one of them is given a trumpet, so there's seven angels with seven trumpets, and then there's another angel that came and stood at the altar having a golden censer 
having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense. So you can imagine this angel now uh, taking the incense and, and, and going to the um, going with the censer and the incense to the altar. And there was given him a lot of incense. So he had lots of incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the old golden altar which was before the throne. So there's this great throne that God is sitting on and here now this angel is given this golden censer with a lot of incense and he's combining that with the prayers of all the saints and he's offering it upon the golden altar which is before the throne. Now it says the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hands. So, so this beautiful incense is, is coming up before God, but it's combined with the prayers of the saints. So we have to ask ourselves now, what is it that the saints are praying? That is like this sweet incense to God and combined with incense that the, that the holy angel is offering to God. What, 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 what is the content of these prayers? Well, John gave us some insight into that earlier when we were in Revelation chapter 6. It says here, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So they are begging God, please take vengeance. We have suffered. We've suffered for you because we know you're righteous, we know you're true, we know you'll never go back on your word, but how long does this have to go on before you actually, we know you're true, we know you will act, but, but how long? And so this is what they are praying, and these are the prayers that the angel is, is, is mixing with the incense and presenting to God. Now, Christ, when we, when we studied Luke, you'll remember that in chapter 18, he had this parable of the unjust judge and he spoke that parable to encourage us never to stop praying to not give up to keep praying and the lord said hear what the unjust judge said and shall not god avenge his own elect which cry day and night unto him though he bear along with them so it is a long process and, and that's, you know, if there's anything, any message that I want to get across to you, brethren, it's the need for patience and not to panic and not to feel like, oh, you know, the sky's falling. Therefore, Christ is going to be uh, come. Actually, if the sky was falling, <laughs> then that is the sign we look for. But we don't want to be this sort of chicken little and just panicking. And so there's another big terrorist attack or even a nuclear bomb somewhere. And this is what we expect. Wicked men are going to wax worse and worse and we are not going to panic we are not going to panic because our eternal lives are hid with christ and when he comes he's coming with our eternal lives with him and so we're calm we're cool we're just going to do what we have to do and that's to bear witness to bear witness and to preach the gospel and so it's, it's going to be a long process when we think that you know it's got to be any minute now any day now it could be decades it could be decades. And, and the hint that we have in Matthew 24, he says, this generation shall not pass. 
it, it could, you know, a generation could be as much as 40 years, given what we learn in Leviticus when they, when, and, and Numbers, when they had to, the children of Israel had to wander in the wilderness until that generation died off. So it's, it's a long process and God is not deaf. He hears our prayers. He wants our prayers. Our prayers are mixed with this sweet incense and, and God is receiving our prayers. And now it's the time for the Lamb, the Holy One of Israel, to act. He says there, you know, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. <laughs> this, this, when, when he acts, he's going to act swiftly. And absolutely he will avenge us. Nevertheless, Unfortunately, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? And the question is posed in such a way that the answer is, no, well, not really. Unfortunately, he that endures to the end will be saved. The implication is, not everyone's going to endure. So we really have to get our head, and that's where the blessing is pronounced, on those who will read this book and really come to understand the whole story and not get discouraged, and not get deceived, and not get distracted. And so we're not going to be discouraged, we're not going to be deceived, we're not going to be distracted, we're going to be focused like a laser beam. And we understand the story. The wicked don't understand, but we understand. And we're going to be patient. We're going to be patient, because we know God's word is true. God will never go back on his word. And unfortunately, you know, cares of this life, whatever the case may be, uh, when the Son of Man comes, there's only a few that he finds faith with. You know, there, there will be, but very few. In fact, those few that really have the faith, most of, most of us, most of them will be martyred. And so when he comes, it's like, you know, whoever's left probably compromised in order to spare their life. But now they have to face Christ. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth and matthew 24 tells us that there's going to be this apostasy somehow satan is going to get the upper hand with god's people and then at the end time shall many be offended they're going to be emotional and they're going to be distracted and discouraged but they're going to become offended something's going to happen in their lives that causes them to miss the plot they're going to be offended and and from that deep seated emotion of hatred and envy or whatever these negative emotions are that Satan works with and he's going to stir them up they will betray one another it's going to be a terrible time and shall hate one another this is the absolute victory remember that white horse was given a crown and victory and went forth conquering and to conquer well here's conquest here is conquest here are the people of God with agape love, the Holy Spirit, flipping, becoming self-centered, being filled with negative emotion, and hating their brother, which means they hate God. They become hateful of God. We have to be very, very careful about these emotions that build up inside us because Satan uses them. And ultimately, he's the adversary to God and he makes us an extension of himself. Rather than being an extension of Christ and part of his body, we become an extension of the adversary and become adversarial to God's people and therefore to God. 
And this is the prophecy for the end time. Men, not a few, many. That's why Christ says when he comes, will he find faith? A few. And most of them will be martyred. So the majority, out of fear or self-centeredness, are going to be offended, and they're going to betray one another, and they're going to hate one another. It's unfortunate. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. There's the white horse. There's the white horse. Many, many teachers, many people espousing really interesting, very clever-sounding doctrines and deceiving many and people following them because they don't understand the whole story. And because iniquity, that is lawlessness, people breaking the law, it's all around us, it filters into the church, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And in fact, uh, in my opinion, uh, just because it says lawlessness here, iniquity, it doesn't mean no law. It, it, it could be a very legalistic system, but it's anti-Christic in its nature. nature. Therefore, from God's perspective, you can call it law all you want, whatever kind of law you want to call it. But from God's perspective, from a perspective of holiness, it is iniquity. It is lawlessness. It opposes God's will. And because this is all around us and inside us as well, remember we read in the churches that they were tolerating uh, sexual impurity within the church. They were tolerating idolatry within the congregation. So this iniquity, it's around us and it's inside as well. Because it's going to abound, the love of many will wax cold. They'll just turn off or we'll just turn off. That we'll have our own interest instead of the interest of God. We'll, it, what we studied in Philippians when we did the book of Philippians, that you know, put on the mind of Christ and let not each mind his own things, but the things of others. Be, be other oriented. But that, you know, we, we miss this. And so we become self-oriented and we begin getting swept up in this iniquity and lawlessness and the agape runs out. It waxes cold. And so Christ is taking a long time to return, but in this extension of time, people are losing their faith and the saints are failing. And so this is why I'm pleading with the church. We've got to hunker down. We have to be ready for the long haul. We need to prepare to endure to the end. And we need to guard ourselves and let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. This, this white horseman, uh, this or I should say horseman on a white, uh, horseman on a white horse, uh, he is not necessarily a white horseman, uh, but the white horse, uh, he is given victory. And he is conquering and people are surrendering to him. And the more time he has, the more successful he becomes. Back to Revelation 8. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it to the earth. So now he, he takes this, everything that was, the, all these prayers and the incense, and he takes this uh, censer and now he, it's filled with fire from the altar and he casts it into the earth. This is the beginning of this great judgment on this uh, uh, Babylonian system. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Now compare that to what Ezekiel saw here. And then I looked and behold, in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubims, 
there appeared over them, as it were, a sapphire stone as the appearance of the likeness of a throne. And he spoke unto the man clothed with linen and said, Go in between the wheels, even under the cherub, so this is under God's throne here, and fill your hand with coals of fire from between the cherubims and scatter them over the city. And he went in my sight. So this is now the beginning of this judgment and the glory of God is going to depart from, from Jerusalem. And so there's going to be judgment here. And so this is what John is uh, uh, beckoning back to here in Revelation 8 and verse 6 now. And the seventh angel, and the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So they have these uh, seven trumpets and they're preparing to sound. <clears throat> and the Spirit of the Lord, he says this, so this now, actually just this is very interesting. So these seven angels are preparing to sound. And it says here that this, when we were studying Luke, Luke's gospel, as he wrote it, it was really centered on Christ fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah about the Isaiahic servant who needs to come to redeem Israel. And when Christ began his ministry, he opened the scroll and he turned to Isaiah 61. And he read, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. So those who are oppressed, hey, good news, this whole system is going to be overturned. You will not be oppressed anymore. In fact, you're going to be raised and the oppressor is going to be lowered. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So all these that are suffering to proclaim liberty to the captives. These seven trumpets, these seven angels with the seven trumpets, they are announcing the kingdom of God. They are announcing the redemption of Israel. But that's not all. They are also announcing God's vengeance. This is now God is finally answering the prayers of the saints. And it is a time of vengeance. And when Christ was here on earth and he began his ministry after conquering the devil, he went into the synagogue in Galilee and they handed him the scroll. And he turned very specifically and very deliberately to this passage, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. That is, he, because the Lord has anointed me. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. The Lord has anointed me. What has he anointed him to do? To preach good news unto the poor. So the poor, the oppressed, good, these systems that oppress you are going to be broken. Satan is going to be vanquished. And these, these oppressors are going to be overturned. And the poor the lowly are going to be lifted up and those that are high and mighty are going to be brought down. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So these systems cause a lot of pain to proclaim liberty to the captives. This is a time of freedom from these oppressive systems and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. So that's what this is all about. So these seven trumpets that are about to blast are about to announce the freedom of God's people, made in God's image, and yet being oppressed by the devil, being captured by the devil. And then he went on to read the second verse, but he only read the first half, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord 
And then he stopped and he handed the scroll back to those in the synagogue. He didn't finish the verse and he didn't finish the prophecy. But the rest of the verses and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. So this this um, anointed one was about not only the good news of the release from captivity, but also announcing the vengeance of God. And that's what these seven angels are about to do. Now, who are these that mourn? It's to comfort all that mourn and to, to bind up the brokenhearted. So these oppressive systems cause a lot of mourning. They cause a lot of broken hearts. But who specifically needs comfort? Look at John 16. In John 16, Christ taught this. These things have I spoken unto you, my disciples, that you should not be offended. So Christ does not want us to be offended. So, so he's, he's told his disciples, and by extension, he told, he's telling us, his disciples today, many are going to be offended. But he's, he's telling us these things ahead of time so that we won't be offended. We need to have the whole story. And so as things happen, we're like, yes, this is exactly what Christ said would happen. As opposed to being surprised and offended and, and caught off guard. So these things I've spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They will put you out of the synagogues or out of their assemblies. You're going to be um, treated like, like garbage. And you're not recognized as having any relationship with God. Yes, the time comes. Remember that white horse? The, the, the rider on the white horse the time comes, the deceiver, that whosoever kills you will think that he does God's service. So, so it is a time, the end time is a time of religion. Uh, atheists and, and evolutionists notwithstanding, what Christ is telling us is religion is going to be paramount in the end time. And that people are going to be thinking that they're serving God. And so much so that killing God's people, they will think that this pleases God. And these things they will do unto you. Why will they do these things? Even though they're religious people and they have, you know, all the religious trappings, they look very religious and they sound very religious. These things they will do unto you because they have not known the Father, nor me. This is why. They don't know the Father and they don't know Christ. And that's why. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. So these things wouldn't happen as long as Christ was there, but now he was going away, and so it was necessary for him to tell them, look, here's what's going to happen. Dropping down to verse 6, But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So they are now becoming brokenhearted, now that they understand what the future holds. And, and so nobody wants to suffer. Uh, and Christ is going away and they're going to be left. And here we are, you know, Christ is in heaven. We're here on earth. We have to deal with the affairs here on earth. Nevertheless, he says, <clears throat> I tell you the truth. It is necessary for you. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Comforter will not come unto you. 
But if I leave, I will send him to you. So this is the Holy Spirit, which we must have. Now he says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. So he started to tell them and they became filled with sorrow. And so he stopped and he says, you know what? There's a lot more that I need to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. How be it when it, the Holy Spirit of truth is come, it will guide you into all truth, all truth. And that's what we're seeing now with the book of Revelation, that we are seeing, you know, head on these things that will make us brokenhearted. We're seeing it head on, 2020 vision. But we're also seeing the whole story. We see how the story ends. Uh, maybe I should say how the story begins, how, how the next chapter of this uh, life with Christ and life with God the Father, how it all begins when wicked men are no more, when falsehood is no more, when the new creation comes and we're a part of this new creation. So he's going he's gonna to give us the, the, the hard part, but he's also going to give us the whole story. And, and that's the Holy Spirit gave that to us via John and the book of Revelation. Howbeit, when the spirit of truth is come, it will guide you into all truth, for it shall not speak of itself, but whatsoever it shall hear, that it shall speak, and it will show you things to come. So we have to see the future. God's people have to be future-oriented. We can't be so caught up in the present that we're easily discouraged. We've got to see the present in the context of things to come. And these seven trumpets are certainly to come. And dropping down now to verse 20, Truly, truly, I say unto you, that you shall weep and lament. So this is the Isaiah 61, to comfort all who mourn. Well, who are the all who mourn? He's telling now us as his disciples, I'm telling you truly, you shall weep and lament. And while you're weeping and lamenting, the world shall rejoice. So this is a very strange uh, set of affairs here. We've got people who think they're serving God by killing God's people. And we've got God's people weeping and lamenting while the world is rejoicing. So again, it's this white horse that is riding and just casting this net of deception all over the planet. And so what, what a glorious blessing it is for us to actually see reality, to be able to open the scriptures and actually understand them. You know, when I read this, it makes sense. I get it. What a great privilege this is because people are getting their heads filled with all kinds of garbage. But here we can be filled with light. And this, this word is transformative. It's not just that we understand, it's that we're changing. We're changing as human beings. We're, 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 we're developing the, the likeness of God. We're developing his character. We're, we're bearing his image and we're gaining greater vision. Uh, but the world has no clue what's going on. Wicked men will wax worse and worse. The wise will understand, but the wicked will not understand. You shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and you shall be sorrowful. You will be full of sorrow. But your sorrow shall be turned to joy. And their joy is, you know, kind of conversely, their joy will be turned to sorrow. When these trumpets sound, uh, the wicked are going to panic. But your sorrow shall be turned to joy. Let's go back to Revelation. And this, so where we were, 
the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Now, what is the symbolism behind this? What is the significance of the seven uh, angels uh, sounding the trumpets? This harkens back to Exodus, if we go to Exodus 19. And it came to pass that on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings. Again, same thing. Thunders and lightnings. And a thick cloud upon the mount. And the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud. This was a loud trumpet blast or, or blast of the shofar. So that all the people that were in the camp trembled. This, this was such a powerful blasting of the shofar. The people trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. So this is the significance of, of these trumpets. It's time to meet with God. So they, they do pronounce judgment and vengeance on the evil people of the world. But the good news here is it's time to prepare to meet our God. And these trumpets are really part of the introduction to the Lamb, the Lion of Judah, the, the Messiah, the, the King of Israel, coming to earth to meet his people. Continuing now, um, in Luke, where the um, disciples had a, a, a preview of what Christ is going to look like when he returns. Remember here in Luke 9, 29, and as he prayed, and I'm saying remember, I think uh, hopefully most of you were with me when we studied the book of Luke. If you didn't, uh, I would highly recommend um, just going through the archive and getting the story flow of the, the gospel according to Luke. Uh, it's just really tremendous. And just, uh, again, between Luke, Acts, and Revelation, with all the callbacks to the Old Testament, uh, you, you, we really get the whole story of the Bible. And that the archive is cgi.org slash webcast. And just underneath you'll see uh, Wednesday Night Bible Studies and you'll see the uh, playlist for, for the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel according to Luke. And so in Luke 9, as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke here, the word is decease in English, the Greek word is exodus. They spoke of his exodus, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. So this was a, a, at the Passover time, and the Passover enables the exodus. And so the same way there was Passover and then the exodus, the, the bringing God's people out of the land of Egypt, out of oppression, this is the same thing that we're seeing here that he's, he's going to accomplish this second exodus. And so, you know, he's come to comfort all those who mourn and to, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to them that are bound. So this, this, this language is speaking of the second exodus. And so he's going to be gathering his people from the four corners of the earth. And this exodus is going to be so massive that the first exodus will no longer be spoken of. That always it's the God who brought you up out of Egypt. We, we won't say that anymore. It's going to be the God who brought us from the four corners of the earth and accomplished this massive exodus. And so that's what these trumpets now are announcing, Christ returning and the beginning of this second exodus. The first angel sounded. And so, so now we have these seven angels lined up. 
and and the first angel actually uh, goes ahead and sounds the trumpet and so this this trumpet blast occurs and this angel is blowing on this shofar and announcing this 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 first blast of what happens what happens and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood hail and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth and the third part of trees or vegetation was burned up and all green grass was burnt up so that is going to have a massive effect upon the the ecosystem and also upon the food supply and this is a time of, of great trouble but notice what happens here that there's hail and fire mingled with blood and that should kind of recall the 10 plagues that God used to break the power of Pharaoh and so this is the same thing that's happening with this second exodus is God is going to use these plagues to break the power the bondage of the devil and so here we have, you know, in the ten, first 10 plagues, we had uh, blood was the first one, and we had hail as the seventh one. And here we have um, hail and fire mingled with blood. And so now we have this vegetation burning up. And then here we'll just recall, and Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and the fire rang along upon the ground, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. And so this is sort of modern day Egypt. It symbolizes the, the, the um, control and the government and the oppression of the devil. And the same way God broke it with ancient Egypt, he's going to break it again today with modern Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And this is also something that Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 28. Behold, the Lord has a mighty and a strong one, which as a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with the hand. In that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people. So it's this combination of this destruction of the wicked, but also the glorification of God's people. Continuing in Revelation. And the second angel sounded. And as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And so there's this great mountain that's hurled from heaven, burning with fire, and it's cast into the sea. So first the vegetation, is a third of the vegetation is burned up. Now a third of the sea became blood and the third part of creatures which were in the sea and had life died so first you know a third part of the vegetation is destroyed that's going to have a massive impact on the food supply now a third part of the creatures that are in the sea uh, died and the third part of the ships were destroyed so great 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 destruction here and great destruction of wealth as well uh, going back to Exodus, thus says the Lord, in this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod 
that is in my hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. So same thing where God is affecting the water supply to bring down the power of Egypt. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. These mighty Egyptians. Same thing's going to happen again. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take your rod, and stretch out your hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon the streams, upon the rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. And the, So going back to Revelation now. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven. So now we see this great star falling from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon a third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the water. So water is what we need water for life. Without water, there's no life. And so here now when this star called Wormwood hits the water, uh, Waters become poisoned. Many men died because of the waters, because they were made bitter. Now, wormwood is something that Jeremiah prophesied about. He said, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. So, you know, the implication here that I see is that many of these people, <clears throat> these wicked people that are being destroyed at this time, a lot of them are probably Israelites that have given themselves over to the devil. And though God was pleading with them to repent, they would not repent. And I think, you know, uh, somebody like Karl Marx, who, who came up with this whole communist system, this whole Marxist system, was a Jew. And a lot of the evil that is done in the world today it has been masterminded by God's own people. And so here, Jeremiah promises that he will feed even this people with wormwood and give them water of gall to drink. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets. Remember in Matthew 24, we saw that many false prophets are going to be in the land. Well, here Jeremiah prophesies, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, behold, I will feed them, the prophets, with wormwood. So, you know, they, they're so high and mighty and supporting this Babylonian system, and God promises to bring them down. I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall. For from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. Again, this white horse is riding and, and this deception. These are prophets, they're from Jerusalem. Uh, what they're saying must be right. Mm, maybe not. Continuing Revelation. And the fourth angel sounded. And a third part of the sun was smitten. And a third part of the moon. And a third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened. So now there's this darkness that comes upon the land. And the day shone not. For a third part of it. So the day is suddenly shortened. Whatever amount of daylight uh, we're, we're used to, uh, suddenly a third of it is gone and it's replaced with darkness. 
so as a third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. Let's again go back to the first exodus, as God is now accomplishing this second exodus. We go back to the first exodus, and the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. Imagine that darkness being so thick, you can actually feel it. That is a real darkness. You can't see anything. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. And you can imagine the confusion and anxiety that that would create. They saw not one another. So for three days, you can't see anything. They're just kind of groping around, feeling around. This is something. What is going on here? Neither rose any from his place for three days. So they were more or less paralyzed. They just stayed where they were. It was just too dangerous to move. Uh, You had no idea what you were walking into. And so they just stayed put for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. And Isaiah also prophesied here about this darkness. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. So this is very interesting because we know that uh, many of, well, this whole false Babylonian system is predicated on sun worship, on moon worship, on star worship. And now the powers of these uh, celestial bodies are being compromised. And so whatever this system, religious system has built up, is built upon is, is being proven now to be false. Isaiah goes on to say, <clears throat> For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in its going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. So it's going to be a time of great darkness. Look at what Amos says. Again, both Amos, so Isaiah, Amos, Joel, they all prophesy of this plague that is part of the second exodus, or leads up to the second exodus. Amos says here, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? So again, we've got to be careful of deception and people who talk a good talk, you know, but they don't walk the walk. Um, And they're saying the right thing. You know, oh, the day of the Lord is going to come. Amos issues this very dire warning. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Joel says, It's a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. Again, like in Egypt, part of the plague that brought down the power of the Pharaoh. Likewise, when this uh, fourth trumpet sounds, that this darkness is upon the land, and it's part of compromising the power of Egypt, modern day Egypt, or spiritual Egypt. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, 
a great people and a strong. There has never been, and there there has not been ever the like. Neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. And now we come back now to Revelation eight verse thirteen. So the first four angels have sounded their trumpet blasts and now we come to verse 13 and I beheld and an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice woe 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 he was saying this angel was saying this with a loud voice, three woes, three curses. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, those who are established in the earth, those who think that their power would never come to an end. Now it's too late. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices so we have seen so much destruction so much vengeance with these first four trumpets and now the angel is is, is saying with a loud voice with all of this energy that he can muster woe 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 to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound and that's what we'll be getting into it's going to be a couple of weeks because uh next week i won't be doing the bible study the following week will be our debate and then after that the following week it'll actually be on the thursday evening uh, i think that's going to be the 14th of december that we'll get back to this and we'll pick up from here to see what happens when these final three angels blow their shofars when they blow their trumpets and what what does god do to the inhabitants of the earth when these angels sound jesus christ is king of kings lord of lords he's the conquering lion of the tribe of judah and every word from his mouth is true and everything that he says will be accomplished and we are just watching this as we go through this beautiful book of revelation to see how god fulfills his word how his counsel stands jesus christ is lord god bless